Welcome to the Kara's Care Show, where we explore the cutting edge of wellness. It's that time of year when parents are starting to drop kids off at college. Child psychologist Dr. Laura Saunders from the Institute of Living has certainly been there. So she is joining us now with some wisdom for all of us and about what she wishes she knew then. Thank you, doctor, for being with us. Thanks for having me, Kara. You know, people have this idea that psychologists, oh, they don't have any problems. They, they can figure everything out. But in fact, you had to kind of give yourself some armchair psychology after you dropped your daughter off at college. Yeah, so as psychologists, we have just as many problems as other people. The hope is that we actually have access to the tools Ugh. and some experience in trying to get things through. So, right, I, I can't lay in bed and not do anything. I have the tools. So when I have an issue, I need to sort of step into it. And and this time last year, I was talking about soiling the nest, the concept of soiling the nest, right? And that's, you know, where the your, your teens who are going off to college or, or going off to do different things um, really do things to create a lot of negative emotions to make separation easier, right? So the confluence of negative emotions is considered like soiling um, soiling the nest. It makes us ready for our teen to leave and makes the teen want to leave, right? So that's what I was focusing on this time last year. And now I have some wisdom to share in terms of the lessons I've learned about dropping your child off at school and being an empty nester. All right. So you did this. Uh, it's been a year since you dropped your daughter off and you have become an empty nester. You have another child who's already at college. So now you've done this twice and you have some wisdom for the rest. I mean, I know everyone says it's going to be so emotional. What do you want us to know about the actual drop off? Right. So I do like to also uh, the caveat is you know, all colleges and all children and all ch parent-child relationships are different, right? So, so that's, I think, really, really important to, to highlight. Um, the, the funny thing was I envisioned for weeks and weeks and weeks the dramatic moment of parting after leaving her at school. And the reality is it wasn't anything like that. The day of drop-off is so busy and exhausting that you have no emotions left at the end of the day for this big emotional upheaval. It's more like, okay, this is sad. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, we'll see you. Right? So it was really a very different than what I imagined, which I imagined this whole big emotional dramatic scene. Well, because you've done the packing and the bringing things upstairs and the helping drive there and unload the car. So perhaps that helps us. So get ready for um, maybe the actual first time parting, walking out the door. You found not as difficult, but you say not that difficult. The loss, you say, really hits us when we're back at home. Yeah. So it's when we're back at home, when we now as the you know, as the parent and as the adult, are diving back into our routines. However, um, especially if you're an empty nester, but even if you have, you know, still a child back at home, the routines are all different. There, there's like an emptiness to the to the routines that the structure that we incorporate into our lives as parents is now very different. So mm -hmm. it really is a huge adjustment and transition for parents as well. Yeah. And 
those of us, no matter how involved you are, maybe you're a parent who works from home or even someone who works outside the home, there's still a huge change in your routine, right? You've got no more school drop-offs, no more pickups. You've got that empty bedroom, the quiet in the house. So that really does affect us. Does it affect moms and dads differently? I think it, I mean, it, it definitely would affect moms and dads differently. Um, but, it, you know, at the same time, it, it really is kind of an emptiness that you need, that you need to adjust to. And remember, you know, very often our child's lives are our activities, right? So going to sporting events or, you know, doing, you know, participating in school functions, like those are our are our activities. So when we don't have those activities anymore, we need to find other activities for ourselves. Mm, yeah. So you also say the lack of communication with your child that you just dropped off is hard. We should get ready for that to be difficult. Yes. So if you think about it, right, you're with your child for around 18 years and you know, I mean, even if they're at school and they've got some friends, and they do some other things, you pretty much know what's going on in their life every single day. Maybe not every moment of every day as they get to be like 16, 17, um, but you know what's going on in their life every single day. And so it's really getting used to having very little information. It's also getting used to having monosyllabic responses to your texts. How are you? Good. <laughs> what are you doing today? I don't know. Right. So, yes, no, maybe good. Very simple responses. Um, and there's days where you don't know anything. So these th that letting go is not just the change in routines, but it's really letting go of that, that, you know, the intimate knowledge you have of your child's life and schedule. So what we shouldn't do is say pick up your phone. I need to know more information. We actually, as parents, need to prepare that, that that's okay, that we're not getting that, inform that, that much information? Yes, I actually, um, I actually, my, you know, most young people are not talkers, right? They're texters. <laughs> I actually made my daughter practice a few phone calls with me uh, the su in the <laughs> summer, just so, like, I knew she could actually communicate on the phone and not just send me, you know, simple texts. Um, but the, and the, the other thing to keep in mind is that they're busy, like they're living their lives, they're busy, they're doing things. Um, when I went to some orientation activities, like parent orientation activities, they did suggest that the parent and child set up at least a daily or every other day, I'm okay, right? Because really, if you don't hear from your child for three, four, five days in a row, you're probably going to be contacting residential services for a wellness check just to make sure that they're alive and okay. So coming up with some sort of strategy where you have just a, I'm okay, you know, busy, whatever, so that you know that they're alive and they're well, have some kind of communication plan set up in advance. So this I mean, I can imagine how hard that must be. And I know we've gone through different stages. By the time you get to that point, you've probably had a teen who's driven and, and, and they, they're already becoming more independent. But this is a good sign if they're not calling you all the time. I mean, the reverse is you raise these kids to be independent. Right. So, you know, the, the, the ultimate lesson learned is you spend 18 years imbuing your child with, with lessons and with values and with you know, a moral code and, and skills and tools. And then, I mean, ultimately, 
you know, parenting's that one of the job those jobs where the more you're successful, the more you kind of lose. Meaning they go off, they're independent, they're on their own. They don't need to check in with you ten times a day about what's going on. Um, so you know, you have to trust the time and energy that you spend has in fact done its job and that they have a set of skills to manage their day-to-day lives. So we've talked a lot about how the pandemic has impacted people. I have uh, one of uh, someone who works here who uh, was dropping her son off and she was concerned because she thought, gosh, they have such mental health issues right now. We're constantly reporting about teens having mental health crises. She's like, I'm concerned, but I don't know that he even has the coping skills. You know, when college happens, stuff happens. Can you talk to us about that in this? Is it unusual right now what the abilities of these kids who are going away right now compared to maybe before the pandemic? So I do like I I, I do like that point because, you know, obviously I had a teen that was, you know, in high school for the the bulk of that sort of COVID isolation and all the changes and the the change in structure and all the all the losses that I think happened through COVID. Um, and so I do think it's important to acknowledge that. However, growth happens in the midst of change. Growth happens when you can use whatever skills and tools you have. And growth happens when you have to figure some things out on your own. Mm-hmm. So so we do have to have some trust. I mean, we're not sending them to a, you know, a deserted island without any food and support. We're sending them to college campuses and you know, colleges are professional organizations. They do this every year. They bring in a whole new batch of of freshmen every year. You know, they they have orientation activities, even if you're a, a commuter uh a commuter student where you're not living on campus. You know, they have things that they do to help orient you. Um, and so it's it is that time where you can start start to step back a little bit and and hope that your child can manage some things. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't get the phone calls or the text messages where they're upset or angry or, or you know, distressed about something. Um, and and, you know, you have to you have to listen to what they're saying. You need to kind of validate that it might be hard. You ask them if they have the tools, you know, do you have the resources to fix that? Or who can you go to to help you with that? And and then they have to do it, right? This is not the time to be doing those things for them anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. You said you've mentioned um, you've, as a parent, have been involved at some of these parent Facebook pages and whatnot. And we certainly have become, in not everyone, but um, maybe maybe for our own detriment, too involved. And you see parents asking really like questions about how they're going to solve this or that for their kids. And that's something that's a no-no. We shouldn't be doing that. Right. So like on any, most of all these colleges have parent Facebook pages for the, you know, for the entering freshman class. And it is actually surprising and concerning to me about the level of detail that parents are asking about to sort of like kind of, you know, lawn mow, their their child's way through you know how will they find the the laundry room and and where's the dining hall and what are the dining hall hours and and you know where will they go if they if they need some help with tutoring right those things you don't have to figure out for them they they do those right ras and dorms will walk you through services right there are things to do that this is our opportunity as parents to step back 
and let our young people figure out some of these things. Now, I'm not saying to abandon them. I'm not saying to not have any communication. What I'm saying is that a lot of that little problem solving is the stuff that builds character. Yeah. And and it's true. We can look back at our own experiences. And I think, I think sometimes we grew up with a lot more just do it on your own. We didn't have cell phones. Our parents didn't, didn't have Life 360. They didn't always know where we were. We had to kind of figure things out a lot more. Um, they have uh, This generation has different challenges, but you want to assure the parents who might be listening to this podcast that the first that the first few weeks are the hardest. It actually does get easier after you've gone through the drop-off. Yes, I, I actually say that the first, I think the first semester for especially you know, whether you're, again, whether you're a commuter student or you're living on campus, the first semester is hard. It's daily life lessons that they're learning. So it's hard. And, and you know, you can predict for your teen it's, it's going to be hard. They're going to say, I'm fine, I'm fine. But it's hard. It's hard for you as the parent because your life is going through a lot of adjustments. So I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's hard. But what I'm also saying is that you have the tools as a parent to get through this, but you sometimes need to do some proactive things. And that, in my experience, the year of, of separation, and obviously it wasn't a whole year of separation, mm. but you know, the year experience was growth producing and, and maturing for both my teen and myself. Yeah, so this is, you say, it's actually grieving. I mean, and so we do need to grieve the changes, but also celebrate the small victories. So this is a process that as parents, we do need to grieve. We do need to grieve. I mean, there there's going to be a lot of changes in your life, especially when you become an empty nester. Um, and I do think that there's healthy and positive ways to fill those changes, right? I, you know, I, I, I said in, in great day, I joined a book club, right? There's things that you can do, you know, get together with friends more, uh, ec- join a gym, uh, you know, do things proactive. I'm always about social connections because I think they're so important. Uh, but do things that are more proactive as opposed to just sitting in your home by yourself after your work day, lamenting about how things have changed and not doing anything about it. And you say it's okay. Like, I- we should be also recognizing it's you always talk about just validating your feelings or getting in touch with them. Like just simply saying this is really hard and sharing that with your partner or some friends um, that can help us get through it. I always think that saying out loud what you're feeling, letting someone know, sharing your, your pain, um, you know, what they, you know, uh, pain, emotional pain shared is emotional pain halved, right? So sharing your pain, um, connecting with other parents who are going through the same things, knowing that, okay, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one that's struggling. I, I mean, I'm saying it was a struggle, right? Those, especially the first six weeks and all the changes that happened, um, it was a struggle, but it's relying on the tools that you have for yourself and and doing things that you know have worked for you in the past not isolating yourself, talking to people, letting, you know, letting your family members know. I let everyone know that summer before that I was going to be struggling that first, you know, month or two. I knew that I would be. I let everyone know. And so therefore, because I put it out there, I actually got a lot of support. Okay. So that makes sense. Um, And what about, I guess, the positives is you can use this time to 
focus. We all said, oh, gosh, if I only had time, but focus on some of your needs, your interest, reconnect with your partner. You said you joined a book club. Like, what would be some things positive that we can do? And maybe you say set up even before you actually do the drop off. Yeah, I mean, I all of those things, right? I mean, remember that you 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 actually have a spouse and that your you know your focus has always been on being parents, but now it's a role change, right? Now we're going back to being to being spouses again for however you know for some parents it could be eighteen, twenty plus years based on how many kids you have where you've just been, you know, your main identity has often been as a parent. So now it's shifting your identity back to being to being spouses or to being partners. Um, if you're a single parent, maybe it's the time you start to go out and look for it, reconnect, you know, finding a connection with someone or doing something that makes you feel good. Um, again, I always emphasize social connections. So, you know, a book club could be a social connection. I don't care if you just, you know, you go to the library once a week and just do things outside of your comfort zone, um, reconnecting with friends that that may also now be, you know, sending have sent their kids off. Um, so doing things in a more proactive way and not just sitting and wallowing in your misery. Yeah. Well, when it talks about refeathering your nest, um, they say that uh, we all show, I guess, Parenting's not over, right? It's not like, I think that the biggest loss is thinking, okay, my job is done. This thing that took so much of my heart and my time and my soul. Um, on the other side, parenting's not over, right? We still have our, these kids that are going to be with us. It's just different. It is different. And, and but the role, the, the way that you're doing the role is shifting in the same way, like from a developmental standpoint, right? The way you parent your, you know, zero to, to 10 year old is kind of different than the way you parent your your 11 to 15 year old is different than the way you parent your 16 17 18 year old and then beyond so so it is about you know making those adjustments so you might not be involved in sort of the moment to moment or day to day activities of your child the way you did when you when they were like in high you know middle school high school um but it is taking on a little bit more of a of a different role. I don't know if I want to say mentoring. I mean, you're still a parent and mm -hmm. I don't want you to immediately just shift into being friends. Um, because remember, being friends is that two people are sharing about their problems both ways. And this is not the time for you to be sharing your problems with your your teen, um, your college, age, your high school or college age uh, child. But it is a shift in roles. And so it, you know, it being careful not to try to continue to micromanage their lives um, because that's that's not where learning is going to take place if you're still doing everything for your young person. What should we do just to make sure the other thing is I think parents worry about that college is a time where a lot more drinking happens or a lot more experimentation happens and there's those just real safety concerns. So how do we navigate that and know what they're doing or don't we? <laughs> So that's hard, right? So, uh, you know, I too, like, wanted to impart some lessons learned, right? We want to impart our own lessons learned. You know, I do worry about some of those situations. We know that, you know, sexual, like, so I always worry about things like sexual assault for young women, right? Sexual assault is more common when um, alcohol and substances are involved, you know, so you try to give some warnings about being careful, you know, always, you know, traveling in groups, being staying connected to friends, you know, you don't leave an event or party by yourself, you, 
You always bring a friend with you. Don't walk late at night. So I, right. I would worry about those things, um, especially as the parent of a, you know, a young girl. Um, I, I worried about it with my son, but he was just different and it was more likely to just do those things that I was already recommending. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, so I do worry about those things, but I can't control them, right? I can give information. I can make recommendations. I can issue warnings, but I have to hope that they're going to make good decisions. And if they don't make good decisions, that they have ways to fix it. Yeah. I know we don't have power school anymore, so I guess you're not going to know all the time how things are going. (laughs) Um, Let me ask you this. Uh, What about... um... A lot of parents have used tracking apps all through high school, especially when they start driving, Life360 or iPhone. Uh, Your opinion on that, should we still have them so that we know where the kids are just in case? Or is it a time that you're not doing that anymore? I always think of the safety, like, oh, God forbid, at least I know where you are if something happened. Right. So that's that's a that's very individualized. and, but I think it certainly warrants a, a discussion. Um, you know, I, I think back to the fact that, you know, when I was in college, my parents had no, no idea where I was or what I was doing. And obviously this is an extreme, you know, there was a, there was one payphone in the hallway <laughs> of an entire floor, uh, you know, of a girl's dorm. So, you know, and I, if I got to, you know, call them once, maybe twice a week, that was about it. Um, so it's a very different era, and I can recognize that. But um, that certainly warrants a discussion. Um, I actually did it differently for each of my kids, but um, that warrants a discussion. I think it's it feels like an assurance for a parent. You know, I might not know what that dot means about where you are on the campus. I don't, you know, I don't know where the, you know, what I don't know what buildings your classes are in the way, you know, you would know in high school, but sometimes it feels like an assurance that I at least know where that dot is um, to know that that you're somewhere and therefore assume that you're okay. Yeah. What about if there is a problem? Their grades aren't going well and maybe they feel like they're having a tough time navigating a really difficult roommate situation. I mean, some of it's just life and some of it's like, well, maybe I should step in because I'm going to be able to navigate this better. And I am paying for this college education if that's the case. Or maybe you're not, but you still have more wisdom. Do How do we step in or when do we step in? Is that OK? With co- Is there a process you think is that we should go through? I think at high school we know what to do. Right. In high school, we know what to do. Well, here's the really tricky thing about college is that there's a law called FERPA, right? In healthcare, we call it HIPAA. It's about health information. In colleges, it's called FERPA. So unless your child actively gives permission to the college and like, you, you know, they all have Facebook, um, they all have pages mm-hmm. and your child has to actively give permission for college officials to to be in touch with you or for you to be in touch with them, unless they give that active permission, you get zero information. Zero. Even when you're paying the tab, you get zero information. So so that's something that usually has to be addressed. So as a parent, you you can't even get information if you thought your child was having a roommate issue or there was an issue, you know, on their floor or whatever. You can't even get information. So 
So that's a very, very big barrier that has to be addressed pretty early on okay. if you want to have that kind of connection. Meaning, again, you have to tell your I would kids really encourage. Go ahead. You have to tell your kids to tell you, like, how do you address that barrier? Like, basically, we're not going to be able to so, call someone. So, to yeah, I mean, usually there's each college is probably a little different, but there's ways that they have to like check boxes and literally give the college permission to contact you okay. um, or for you to get information. Really, the, the college is not going to contact you. The college will not reach out to you as a parent almost ever, unless it's a dire situation. You as the parent can contact them. Um, I mean, I, my daughter did have a significant roommate issue in that first semester. Um, and I did not do anything. I just, we just problem solved. What could she do next? What could she do next? What could she do next? Because I couldn't fill out a form. So if she wanted a roommate change, I can't fill out that form anymore. It, she has to do these things. So I did engage in problem solving. Okay. But it was like, what can you do now? What can you do now? What can you do now? Not I'm going to do this for you. And yeah. yeah, in high school, certainly we would step in as parents and do some of those things. So it really is, it's more helping them problem solve and then encouraging them to follow through with it. Hence why you say even in high school, we should start taking a step back, let them learn how to make the mistakes. The younger they are, let them learn how to solve things. Um, right. We're only going to have a couple minutes left, but let me also ask you, for some parents, um, it, they might have been managing their kids' medications or their therapy appointments. If perhaps they have ADHD and they take stimulants or they've been struggling with some things and they've been going to therapy, what will happen when they go to college? I guess they'll be on their own. But how do you how do you manage that? Sorry, that's the timer over yep, here. They but. will be on their own managing their medication. Can they still go to so therapy and get what, mental health services at college? Or what should we tell them about that if they have some of those needs? Yeah, all colleges have have counseling centers. Um, as a general rule, counseling centers like to deal with more kind of adjustment and transition problems. But more and more college counseling centers are having to deal with more severe issues around anxiety and depression and mood issues and and potential trauma experiences so all college campuses have counseling centers um, that are prepared to deal with these things but they're not going to be dispersing your child's medications like they might have in high school where you mm -hmm. had to, if you had to take a medication during the day you had to go to the nurse your child will be managing that so you have to come up with strategies and ways that your child will be taking their medication on their own um, but there are college counseling centers. And if there's a pre-existing issue, I do think at least, you know, having a connection um, with the college counseling center, you know, right as you as you get there. There are also, um, and each college calls it something different, but it's basically like kind of disability services. For, so for the, but colleges call it something different, but each campus has, you know, a, 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 an area designated. If you were someone in high school who had, you know, an IEP or a 504 plan where you had accommodations, colleges are able to do some accommodations, not as much as you might have had in high school, um, but that would be contacting, um, again, they're called different things, but basically like disability services okay. um, that is that's separate from college counseling. They should change it to different ability services, but yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That, that's not the right term, but that's because, but every college has a slightly different name for it. So. 
Bottom line, it's all about growing up. We got to do that. But uh, some great advice on how we can also refeather our own nests. So um, thank you, Dr. Yes. Laura Saunders. I know you're going to do a second drop off soon, but I wish you much more peace the second time around now that you have some wisdom for yourself to share as well. <laughs> I'm well prepared and good luck to all those parents dropping their teens off. Oh, yes. Life stone milestones, life changes. Thank you so much. And for more information on the cutting edge of wellness, you can follow me on social media at Kara Sundlin. Have a great day, everyone, and be well.